0: We believe that having been cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and having received the witness of the Holy Spirit at conversion, it is the will of God that we be sanctified daily and become um, partners of his holiness, growing constantly stronger in faith, power, prayer, love, and service, First, as babies, desiring the sincere milk of the Word; then, as dear children, walking humbly, seeking diligently the hidden life, uh, where it's uh, where self decreases and Christ increases; then, as strong men and women, having um, put on, uh, having on the Full armor of God, the whole armor of God, marching forth um, to a new conquest in the in His name, beneath His blood-stained banner, ever living, present, uh, patient, sober, unselfish, godly life that will be true a true reflection of Christ within.
1: Amen. This one gets me going. This is firing me up today. As you know, we've been going through the We Believe series and the different declarations of faith, and this one is so important as a foursquare church, but it's also so important for us as individual believers. Having been made positionally holy by the blood of Jesus, we are now called and empowered to be holy in our daily lives. Did you know that our day-to-day lives they matter? They do. How we spend our time, it matters. The decisions that we make, they matter. The Bible is very clear that how we live our lives as Christians, it's important. And yet, to me, it seems that many Christians, including myself at times, think and behave in a way that it feels like life is anything but important. The decisions we make are anything but important, right? Because of God's grace, we can just kind of do whatever we want. Have you ever kind of thought that way? In high school, that was really popular, right? It's all good. God will forgive me. You ever done that before? Oh man, I've been living that up for years. God's grace, it's good enough for me. So let's go party it up, eat, drink, and be merry. But it's such an immature view of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's such an immature view of what it truly means to be a real follower. Of Jesus and His Holy Word. God has instructed us in the way that we're to live. He has laid out a roadmap for our lives, and it is important for us to follow this roadmap because how we live will end up making a huge difference for ourselves, for others, and it will make a huge difference in our relationship with God. Think of it this way. When we align and when we harmonize our lifestyles with the life of God and live the way for which we have been designed, we will live healthy, joy-filled, strong, and blessed lives. As Romans 12 tells us, our lives will be pleasing to God. But we're not forced to live this way. Have you noticed that? We're not forced by God to live the Christian life. We're not forced to choose life to align our hearts and to align our will with the heart of God. In our free will, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're able to act on behaviors that weaken, that damage. And bring sickness to our lives. Many of us, we felt that pain. We felt the sadness. We felt the sickness that comes with making those types of decisions. But the good news this morning is that God, he has given us a way for life. That there is a Christian life to be lived. And he has told us what it looks like in his holy word. So here it is, his holy word. Many of you brought this here this morning. It's a manual on how to live the Christian life. As Pentecostals, we understand that God is speaking to us, that he speaks to us by his Holy Spirit, and he speaks to us by his Holy Word. With God on our side, the Bible tells us we have everything we need. We are not lacking. Even in the areas where we are unsure, we can boldly proclaim, as James chapter 1, verse 5 says, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, have you ever lacked wisdom? I have. But it says, if any of you have lacked wisdom, you should, what does it say? Ask. Ask God who gives. How does he give? generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you glory to God we have this confidence that he is speaking that he is willing freely to give us generously give us what we need he lets us know how we ought to live but unfortunately we've taken his word and we've picked and prodded and we've chosen the scriptures that we like and we disregard the rest we all do it and really because of that we've come up with these two extreme forms of Christianity that are really on the opposite ends of the spectrum of what the daily Christian life should look like. On one end, we have it where life is completely under God's grace, where we can do whatever we want. We got the license, to sin, live it up without consequences, without reproach. On the other end of the spectrum, we have this form of Christian living that is just flat out legalism. Right? Have you heard of that term before? Legalism. It's just the idea that human beings, we are justified with God by successfully following the law, And we have these two forms of the Christian life. And if you've experienced either one of those extremes, like both my wife and I have, you probably didn't stay in that environment for very long, did you? And here at LifeSpring, we seek neither. Neither. I, I pray that we would never find ourselves inappropriately standing on either side of that spectrum. Instead, as a church, we don't, we don't want to get crazy on the grace side. We don't want to get too crazy on the legalism side. We want to try to stay ridiculously cray cray on jesus <laughs> jesus is our focus jesus is our mission you might want to write this down in our daily lives we want to receive reflect and reproduce the spirit and life of jesus in our daily lives we desire to receive reflect and reproduce the spirit and life of Jesus, who the Bible tells us is the Holy One of God. We want to be like Jesus. We say it all the time in this church. We want to be a one-trick pony. All our eggs are in in one basket. We want to be like Jesus. It's Jesus who we want to be like. Daily Christian life, daily Christian living, it equals Jesus. That's why we call ourselves followers of Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? When you say to your friend, I am a follower of Jesus, what you're saying literally is that you are a follower of Jesus. Jesus. That's what you're saying, that you follow Jesus. So Jesus, wherever you're going, I'm going. He is our rabbi. We are his students. He is our teacher, and we are learning from him. And the glorious truth of God by his Holy Spirit is that he is not silent. We do not have a mute teacher. He is speaking to us. He's speaking, by the way, into all areas of our lives. He speaks to us on whether we should be living with or sleeping with our boyfriend or our girlfriend He's speaking to us whether we should be getting drunk on the weekends or doing drugs. He speaks to us on whether we should be having relations with our own gender, whether we should be holding on to anger and bitterness and jealousy and envy. Jesus, he is constantly and consistently teaching us and he is guiding us. And our daily response as Christians is to practice a lifestyle that responds to his teaching. We live a life of response. Have you ever thought about that? God lays out the roadmap, and we respond. We live a life that is in harmony with the goodness and the righteousness of his kingdom. Yeah. And the idea here is for us to be holy as Christ is holy. To be holy as Christ is holy. To be like Jesus. Now are we always perfect at this? Not a chance. Do we make mistakes? Absolutely. Is God gracious and compassionate, willing to forgive us? Absolutely. But this is important. As spirit-filled believers, we have the spirit of truth residing within us. We don't have relative truth residing within us. We have the spirit of truth, the spirit of God residing within us. In our new nature, I, I, I don't know if all of us are convinced of this, but this is the truth of who you are. In our new nature, as Christians, our deepest desire is to follow Jesus and to walk in holiness. Did you know that? That that is your deepest desire. As a born-again, new creation, your deepest desire is to please God, to obey his voice and live the life that he has called you to live, to walk in holiness. 1 Corinthians, Paul, he shouts it out. He says, we are called to be holy. Did you know that? If you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you are called to be holy. Did you know you have a calling on your life? And your calling is to be holy. 1 Peter 1, 14, 16, it says it this way. As obedient children... Don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, hey, be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The Christian life is a call to holiness. The holiness. I've said that word probably 20 times so far. What does it mean? What does it look like? If you've been on the Christian circuit for long enough, been running around, I don't know, 20, 30 years, even with me saying the word holiness, there's a good chance that it makes you cringe because it brings to mind these images of narrow, rigid, and even deadly legalism that has been championed for the cause of holiness. And if you're older in this congregation this morning, you know what I'm talking about. Holiness, it has become this legalistic idea that has robbed many human beings of the freedom, the joy, and the power that God intended for daily Christian life. i just encourage you, if you are of that older generation, if you have a bad taste in your mouth in regards to holiness, it's important that you understand the legalism that you witnessed or the legalism that you experienced is not true holiness. That is a false holiness. It is merely a religious holiness holiness a religious holiness that jesus came up against in the gospels do you remember that do you remember who modeled the religious holiness of the day in the gospels yeah scribes and the pharisees these are the religious studs of the day right and in them you see this negative power of religion Religion had made them narrow, it had made them cold, it had made them hard. Religion, with all of its rules and regulations, it had almost dehumanized them, sucked the life out of them, as well as sucked out the life of those who followed them. And Jesus is not happy. He comes down hard upon them. But remember, these these are the guys who followed and obeyed hundreds of particular rules, They knew the codes. They they knew the codes, forwards and backwards. They understood the regulations, yet Jesus comes in and he scolds them because they were following all these rules. They were being really religious, but they were ignoring the more important, more, I would say, difficult issues of everyday right living. He says this. There's just a few of them. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are so careful to pay a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You see that? He's criticizing them for their outward observance of the law while neglecting the interior motivational issues of the heart. Another time he says, Woe unto you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. I love this one. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup and dish. Then the outside will also be clean. Later on, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. False religion, legalism. It will always give the appearance of something good, right? You kind of, On the outside, it kind of looks good. But if we fall into that trap and we are all susceptible to falling into that trap, it is guaranteed to rob us of the powerful freedom, joy, and life that God intends us to have on the inside. And I would say as much as Jesus saw that in the Jewish leaders of the day, I think many of us, if we're honest, are far too often guilty of carrying the same torch of legalism into today. You know what I'm talking about. If you've been a Christian long enough, you know it's easy to fall into that trap, right? We're always tempted to go down that path. And Jesus, his words should create a tension within us. Because for me, Dan Burge, I don't want to be a cold, lifeless, legalistic Christian who just follows a bunch of rules. But yet the Bible is clear. We're called to holiness. So how do we do it? How do we answer the call to holiness without becoming a legalistic pharisee well we turn to jesus we turn to jesus jesus the answer to the question jesus is amazing by the way just in case you didn't know that this morning jesus is amazing i mean i I think sometimes we just forget In our human nature, we forget how amazing he really is. Do you realize he came in and he lived a perfect, righteous life? I mean, he did everything right. I mean, he never got the large pizza at Pizza hut and ate the whole thing. He never lusted after Pamela Anderson while watching Baywatch as a teenager. He never picked on his sister until she would say that she hated him. And then when he found out she said the H word, she could run upstairs and get her in trouble and say, My sister did the H word. Jesus never did any of those things. I did. No, see, Jesus, he was righteous. And his right way of living, it went way beyond Dan Birch. It went far beyond these scribes and these Pharisees who were trying to complete and finish and obey all these rules. He put their holiness to shame. But unlike that religious holiness that looked good on the outside but stunk on the inside, his holiness, it was the real deal. When we look at Jesus in the Bible, his holiness, instead of it being controlling and legalistic, his holiness, it brought freedom. It brought life. In his holiness, think about it. He, he didn't withdraw from life. He didn't withdraw from people. He didn't live with a bunch of rules in mind, right? Don't do this, don't do that. Instead, Jesus, he lived out loud, not consumed by what he wasn't doing, but completely consumed by what he was going to do. He walked in holiness and he did it all with this warm heart of compassion, with this intense love and amazing justice. People were drawn to the freshness and the power and the vitality of Jesus' life. I mean, holiness never looked so good when Jesus came on the scene. And for everyone in this room this morning, I want you to hear me clearly. Jesus shows us that true holiness is attractive. It's attractive. He showed us that true holiness, it's refreshing. It brings life. It allows you to breathe. It's clean. It's healthy. And it's powerful. I see this modeled in Jesus. I also see it modeled in many of my Christian friends, the people that I share life with. It's this holiness that's attractive. It's this holiness that's powerful. They already know that they're made holy because Christ in them, the hope of glory is holy. But then with that knowledge, what do they do? They walk it out. They actually live out this holiness. They live out loud the Christian life of holiness. When you see a Christian who's walking in holiness, this is what you're going to notice. One is they're not going to be depressing to be around. Unfortunately, many Christians that I hang out with are kind of depressing. Let's be honest. They're just the killjoys of life. They're grumps. But someone walking in true holiness, they bring life. They're exciting to be around. They're not judgmental killjoys. No, you notice something completely different than that. You and, and you notice a healthy joy for life. Two of my favorite examples of this are sitting right over here representing the right side of the room. We got Pastor Randy And Kathy Ford. Two of the best examples I know of that have this attractive joy for life. They love God and they love others. They even love me. (laughs) They know how to appreciate and to enjoy God's creation. Have you noticed that? They live life to the full. They're active participants in their community, volunteering here, doing this there. They read their Bibles. They pray. They give very generously to the local church and beyond. And they live lives of worship that are pleasing to God. They walk in true holiness. And is it a cold, boring, legalistic life that they live? I'm setting you up for an easy answer. Is it a cold, boring, legalistic life that they live? The guy in the back's like, Well, that one time when I saw Randy, I was having a bad day no it's attractive I love hanging out with Randy and Kathy when I leave their house I always feel better than when I came into their house if you've ever been to their house if you've ever had a meeting with them you know that's true it is always better when I leave than when I came I want that for you I want that for all of us where you would walk in a holiness That would be attractive to your community. I really love you. I I want that where your spouse would be attracted to your holiness, attracted to your faith. Where your kids would be attracted to your holiness, to your life, to your faith. It's a serious subject. Because what I'm talking about, I'm talking about your life. And you actually get to decide how you're going to live it. You have the decision to choose how you're going to live this one life. You can either live the abundant, joy-filled, Randy and Kathy healthy kind of life by the way that God has designed and created you to live, or you can settle for things that are other than God's best. Some of you need to hear this again. This is the declaration of faith again. You need to hear this. It is the will of God that you be sanctified daily and become a partaker of his holiness, that you would grow consistently and constantly stronger in faith, power, prayer, love, and service. First as babies desiring the sincere milk of the word, but then as dear children walking humbly, seeking diligently the hidden life where self decreases and Christ increases. Then as a strong man or woman having on the full armor of God, you would march forth to new conquests In the name of Jesus, beneath a blood-stained banner, ever living, a patient, sober, unselfish, godly life that would be a true reflection of the Christ within. That gets me so excited. That fires me up. Every time I read that, I get so excited because there is so much life in that statement. Again, where is the life? Where is the joy? As a Christian, there should be life and joy, abundant life. That you and I, by the way, have been destined to live. And my question this morning would be for every person in this room. It's simply this. Do you want it? Do you want that kind of life? Do you want to experience the abundant day-to-day living? I sure do. You know what? I love being a Christian. Sometimes it's not very happy. Sometimes it's not very fun. Sometimes it's not very easy. But I love it. The joy of knowing. I mean, think about just for a second the sanctification process that all of us are in as believers. I have this joy of knowing that I am being transformed every day by the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that, I mean, is anybody else looking forward to what God is going to continue to do in your life? That you are not done yet? That he is still working on you? You are a work in progress? Does anyone else get excited about the fact that when you wake up tomorrow, you're not going to be the same as you were today? Amen. Amen. I, 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 thank you for saying, I just believe that we are set up for adventure, for an exciting life that would take our breath away, where you'd be even willing to die for Christ. That you'd be willing in front of people that hate you, with a gun under your head, say, I profess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He is with me forever. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Forever and ever I am in his presence. The joy of knowing Christ, even when everything else around you crumbles and fades away, when it rusts and corrodes, you can say, but Jesus will never change. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the joy of being a Christian. I hope it's stirring up within some of you this morning. This morning, I believe for some of you, this will change your life forever today, this very morning. Because, see, here's the deal. I was praying about this message. I was trying to prepare it. And the reality is I could preach probably for about 40, 50 hours. Like, <laughs> did you notice the title of the sermon? It's called Daily Christian Living. There's a whole section in the Bible bookstore called Daily Christian Living. I mean, there's more than I could talk about. I went on to Google. I searched it there was like 375 million hits for daily christian living so number 1 <laughs> I mean we could talk about it for a while I mean so here's the deal I'm going to just try to cover a couple of things that I think that the lord was speaking to me that are important for us today so this is what we're going to do going back to the old testament old testament it says a lot about being holy and what Being holy is all about. Holy is to be set apart or to be consecrated. But it also means to be special and to be powerful. Do you think the Lord is holy? Is the Lord set apart? Is the Lord special? Is he powerful? He is incomparably holy. Listen to Isaiah. This is what he says. This is incredible. He says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two wings, they covered their faces. Two wings, covered their feet. Two wings, they were flying. And then they were calling one to another. What did they call? Say it with me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Holy God, holy God. In Leviticus which I know is all of your favorite books the Bible. But in Leviticus, yeah, live it up, shout it out for Leviticus. Woo. Tattoo that, baby. <laughs> Leviticus. God calls Israel. He actually calls Israel to imitate that holiness. He calls for this holiness in ceremonial or ritual cleansing and in the conduct of the daily life. The Jews, they had been given these laws to follow in order to maintain their relationship with God. Okay, so that's true for the Jews in the Old Testament, but what about us? I mean, the question is, as Christians, do we have to follow the law of Moses? And, and actually the answer to that, actually some would say yes, and some would say no. Yeah, right, you see this debate in the Bible, including with Paul at Antioch. Remember the church at Antioch? They had this big discussion. You see this at various various times throughout church history. Is a Christian required to follow the entire law of Moses, including that holiness code that we find in Leviticus? And like I said, some would say, yes, some whole denominations teach that a person must follow the entire law of Moses, including keeping the Sabbath specifically on Saturday in order to be saved. But by the way, that's not what we believe that the Bible teaches. See, God's law, it is holy, And it was given so that Israel could maintain that covenant relationship with God. The, the law, it reveals God's character. It, it gives us guidance for right and healthy living. It is good. It prepares the way for Christ by helping us recognize our sinfulness. But listen to this. With Jesus coming onto the scene, a new situation occurred where the presence of God was manifest and Jesus now functions as the supreme interpreter of the law. You've heard this before, but it's important for us to understand this. The Bible says that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to what? Do you remember? He came to fulfill it. That is to live it out in fullness. And Jesus, he lived it out in fullness. That, does that just blow your mind that a man came to this earth and lived out the law? He fulfilled it? And by doing that, he made a way, I would believe, to an even greater righteousness. Now, when Jesus came on the scene, Jesus changed Everything he changed everything so much so that the earliest Christian leaders, when confronted by the question, this was the question, whether Gentile converts must become Jews first in order to become Christians. That was the question. Do, do converts have to become Jews first before they become Christians? This is what the early church said. Do you remember what they said? They said, no. No. This should blow up. this is a big deal. This is a huge deal. This is separating Christianity from the Jewish religion. He's letting the world know that being a Christian is not about following that holiness code of Leviticus. It's actually about following Jesus Christ. They declare that being a Christian, as Paul would put it, isn't about being justified by the works of the law, but it is by being justified by who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. They declare that being a Christian is all about faith in Christ. So now you have us, 2014, you and I. Here we are sitting here. Guess what? You and I, we are free to choose to keep the entire law of Moses if we want to. Go for it. (laughs) But it's not required for salvation. You're free. We are saved through faith in Jesus who fulfilled the law. Our holiness is not found in obeying the Mosaic law. It is found in Jesus. Jesus now has become the foundation for our holiness. You find this actually communicated again and again throughout the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, he hits this home in almost all of his letters. You want to know about Christian living, and I think some of you honestly would. If you want to know about holiness, what it means to be a Christian, read everything the Apostle Paul wrote. You can read, by the way, everything that he wrote this week within a couple of days, but just read it all. And a good place to start would be the book of Romans. Write down Romans. Romans, Paul, he tells us that we are justified through faith in the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. That through Jesus we are made righteous. We've been talking about that for the last month. But then he goes on to declare that the justified and the righteous person, the child of God, he, he, he describes a sanctification process. And listen to what he writes in Romans 6. In the same way, he says, "'Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus.'" count yourself. So that's an important decision to make. Count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, hey, this is an encouragement to you. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And you, verse 13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather you offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin, this is powerful, for sin shall no longer be your what? It will no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under what? Your grace. See, there's this process. It's a process that involves our free will. A free will that we talked about last week to make choices, which means I can make some good choices and I can make some bad choices. I can choose to walk in holiness or I can choose to walk in sin. The sin nature—I don't know if you've noticed—you probably have—is still lurking around, right? But the great thing about being a Christian is now your relationship to that sin nature is different than it ever has been before. See, before you were under its authority, weren't you? We were slaves to sin; we had those chains in our hands, like Lane did last week. But those chains have been—those chains have fallen to the floor. The authority. That it had once over us, it has been broken. The chains are gone. So now you're free. You're free. Hallelujah. You're free to experience, as Paul would say it, the newness of life. The newness of life that is all about being a Christian. Well, I'm here to tell you the new life, this newness of life, it comes with some instructions. And when I say things like that, some Christians just hate that kind of stuff. They just do not want me to say anything about that you have to do this, this, or this as a Christian. But I'm just here to tell you the Bible comes with some instructions. Being a Christian comes with some instructions. They aren't to imprison you. Relax, please. God is not a killjoy. Relax. The instructions are to bring you freedom. To bring you freedom. Do you believe that? That following the Lord and his word and his instructions actually brings freedom. I don't have the time to go to all, to all of it this morning, but I just want to give you some homework. Go home. Read. Romans 12 through 16, this week. Read Romans 12 through 16. You want to know how to live the Christian life? 12 through 16 is a great place to start. Paul talks about a lot of things. He talks about worship, he talks about serving, and love, and submission, and accepting one another, and encouraging one another, and how to have the mind of Christ. He he gives us all kinds of instructions on how to live the life that we've been called to live. Uh, Romans isn't the only place. You're going to see it in Corinthians. In Corinthians, he calls us to be holy in practical ways. Other letters, Paul calls the church to be practical and, and, and live a life, a real life of living that is consistent with the character of God. You're going to find this in Galatians, in Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First Thessalonians, First Timothy. He's calling the church. I love First Timothy. That book fires me up. First Timothy, read it. It'll take you just a couple of minutes. He calls the church to reach beyond that external religious knowledge, right, the outside stuff, and instead focus on the inside stuff. He actually challenges us to live a sober, humble, and godly life of faith and love. Again, I don't have time to go into all of this today, but the point is this. We might not have to follow all the rules and regulations of the Old Testament Mosaic law, but we just can't live however we want. I think we need to kind of grab a hold of that today, some of us more than others. We, we can't just live however we want. The Bible, the word of God, it doesn't give us that allowance. Again and again. The New Testament addresses these false teachings that Christians are free from all ethical and moral constraints and that we can conduct ourselves any way we see fit. Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 6. This is one of my favorite verses. It's one of the first sermons I preached to the youth when I was the youth pastor here. They would say, people would say, I have the right to do anything. But Paul's response is, but not everything is beneficial. Another translation says, everything is permissible. You remember that? Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. I think that's so good for us to hear this morning. That yes, you're free and, and you can really do whatever you want, but are, are we really, are we not able to see that there are consequences, like real consequences to our actions, to the things that we do? Paul kind of, he kind of comes up with verse 19. And this is pretty intense for me. He says, do you not know That your bodies, they're temples of the Holy Spirit. First of all, we could just preach a whole sermon on that. Whoa. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But he says, do you not know? Your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, therefore, listen up, therefore, honor God with your bodies. Do you think the decisions you make matter? Do you think the decisions you make matter? Yeah, he's saying right there. The decisions you make, they matter. Honor God with your body, with your decisions. Paul shows us that all of us have these decisions to make every day. And every day we can choose things that lead to life or we can choose things that lead to death. We can choose holiness or we can choose sin. And for many of us, The reality is some of these decisions, they're just clear, right? What is right and what is wrong, it's clear. Christians, we should abstain from adultery. Christians, we should abstain from fornication, sex before marriage. Every time you're presented with one of those options, you make the right decision. You turn from your sin and you walk in holiness. But there are other areas of daily Christian life where serious Christians might honestly disagree. For example, in the letters of Paul... We find that in the Church of Corinth. Some of the Corinthian Christians, they thought, that, they thought they should not accept invitations to lunch at the pagan temples. Remember that? Or, or maybe they shouldn't buy meat at the mar- marketplace because they know this meat was originally slaughtered as a sacrifice to idols. Right? So maybe we should stay away from it. Others, however, with a greater sense of freedom of conscience, they felt in certain circumstances to do both. Do you remember that? Right? And, and Paul, what did he do? He counseled them. He said, make your choice this is important for all of us. Make your choice on the basis of conscience and on that which would be best for others. Make your choice based on conscience. Another example, Romans 14. He encourages, this is Paul again, he encourages those with a greater sense of personal freedom not to look down on those who did not feel as free and and to honor their stricter sense of conscience. And those who had the stricter sense of conscience, they should refrain from judging those who seem to possess more freedom. Which means everyone was to follow his or her own conscience. I think this is important for us to grasp this morning. It's something that we've actually tried really hard to model at LifeSpring. We've we've tried to put this into practice at LifeSpring. I, I don't know if you've noticed, but LifeSpring is the place that gives you a lot of freedom to obey God for yourself. To do right based on your conscience and what the Lord is speaking to you. We have put the pressure on you to actually be a Christian who follows the Lord and listens to his Holy Spirit. Now, you're not going to find that in most churches. Churches, by nature, the longer they exist, the more stuffy and religious they get. Because things begin to get messy because, guess what? People are messy. And so what do churches do? We get up the broom. We try to clean up the mess. And we clean up the mess through religion. Right? We clean up the mess through religion Not by the Holy Spirit doing a good work in the hearts of men, but us coming up with rules and regulations that make us all fall in line, do what is right, when often the whole time our hearts are far from God. Religion. You see that in church all the time. But I think that God, and I believe this, honestly, I believe that God has given LifeSpring a different mandate. That we would actually, as scary as it is, embrace the mess. That this would be a place where you could be your authentic self, warts and all. Where change would occur not so that you can look good on the outside to impress all your churchy friends, but instead by being transparent and open to God and to others, that a deep-rooted, real, and substantive, life-altering change would occur on the inside of you that no one would ever be able to take away. Now, if you're a church and a leader, there are certain guidelines that you must follow. You've got to tithe. You've got to be a regular attender. And there are some other things as well. But if you're a leader in this church, you know this to be true, that even in those guidelines, we show a tremendous amount of grace. Because again and again, I have found this to be true, that making people, even leaders, follow a bunch of rules, it might make them a good schoolgirl or a schoolboy who does what they're told, but it does not change hearts. And you know what? God is much more concerned about what's on the inside, your heart, than your outward appearance. The the prophet Isaiah, the Lord speaks this through the prophet Isaiah. He says, these people, they come near to me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips. but Their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. God doesn't want us to just go through the motions so we don't get into trouble I think sometimes that's how we live the Christian life, isn't it? But that's not what God wants from us. He wants our hearts. He wants people like King David, who was described as a man after God's own heart, and talk about the authentic self. David laid it all out there. He was unashamed, naked before the Lord and everybody else praising God. Have you seen David in the Psalms? Just read the Psalms. One minute he will be in the deepest despair leading into the next moment of praise and adoration of God. Have you seen that about David? David, by any means, did not have it all together. In fact, David made some terrible decisions while on this earth. But boy, did he love God. He loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And even when David sinned, David would come before the Lord, tear his clothes, and plead with the Lord, asking him for forgiveness. And as we close this morning, I think this is what God would ask of many of us this morning. is that we would be like David, imperfect and flawed, but that we give him our hearts. Many of us, we just need to give God our hearts once again to come back to our first love. And this is going to require you to get real with God. If you're honest, you've made some mistakes. But God, he's not up in heaven counting your mistakes or marking your sins against you. Jesus, he took them all away. Hallelujah. You and I, we were declared holy because Christ in you is holy. And because of that, you now have fellowship with God. You have been reconciled back to God. But now God wants you to live a life for Him. And I mean, really live for Him. Not just survive, but to thrive. Do you know that God actually knows? What would be beneficial for you and what would harm you? He actually knows what would bring you life and what would bring you death. He is actually here right now by his Holy Spirit to help you and me. And I hope you are open to him this morning. This is going to take a tremendous amount of maturity on your part. To yield to the Holy Spirit's voice in your life and to respond to him Sometimes I just think, I don't know if you're like me, sometimes I think it would just be easier if I just had to respond to a bunch of rules. Anybody else? You know what I'm talking about? Just give me some rules and I will respond. But that's not what the Lord wants from us. That is not what he has required of us. He wants us to respond to him, to his voice. He desires an intimacy and a relationship with us, and it is going to take a whole lot of maturity in this room on our part to hear his voice, obey his voice, and allow him to change us, to work on us, to allow him, yes, to even chisel away some of those things that are not of God, even, yes, highlight some of the things in our lives that are just flat-out sin, to lay them down, to surrender them to the Lord, and instead walk on the path, path that he has directed for our lives. It's going to take some maturity in this house. Because you know what? We make a whole lot of excuses for our sins. We make a whole lot of excuses for our sins. We have these financial excuses, right? Well, we have to cut this corner in our business, or I have to cheat on my taxes, or I have to not pay my tithe because of this, or because of this, or because of this. Or we have our fleshly excuses. You don't understand. I'm a man. I can't help looking at a beautiful woman. I'm a man, or I'm a woman, and I can't help doing this, this, or this. But I'd love to see Lifespring be a no excuses zone. Yeah. No excuses zone. Excuses free. You know what I'm talking about? Like when we get up to heaven, I don't know. I, I just do not think that the excuses that we have are gonna do much for us. I just don't. Let's drop the excuses and become vulnerable before the Lord. I get that it's scary. But become vulnerable before the Lord. In, in our vulnerability before the Lord, we would just allow him to begin to ask us questions. The Lord would ask us this morning, do you love me? Do you trust me? Do you believe I'm faithful? Do you believe I'm good? Do you believe I'm for you and not against you? Do you believe, son or daughter, that I have a plan for you? Because if you're honest, many of your answers to those questions would be no. Your, your answers would be no, and many of your sins flow from the fact That you don't trust God. That you don't believe in his faithfulness. You do not believe he is good and you doubt that he has a plan for you. But be honest about all of that this morning. Be honest. It's okay this morning to be honest. It's okay this morning to get a little messy. Because God really loves you. And he loves you right where you're at this morning. As a Christian, you are washed in the blood of Jesus. He does not condemn you. He adores you. Did you know that? God, when he thinks about you, he gets excited. He he starts singing. He starts leaping up and dancing around. When he thinks of you, he just, darn it, you just need to know this. Pastor Randy says it all the time. He's got your name, your picture on the refrigerator. He loves you. And sometimes we think we have to win that medal before we get on the refrigerator. But you don't. He loves you just the way you are. So right now in this room, pour out your life, pour out your heart to God, and I can guarantee you that he will respond to you. You know the other thing about God's love? I can also guarantee you that he loves you so much that he will not let you stay the way you are. God loves you so much that he will actually change you to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. God is in the business of change. If you allow him, church, he will change you day by day by day by day, grow you to become a little bit more like Jesus. If you surrender, and I get it, it is scary, but if you surrender, he will lead you into a wonderful, joy-filled, healthy, vibrant, satisfying life. But you got to be honest with him you got to get real with the Lord. you got to come to grips that some of the things that you're doing, they're just not right. Your conscience is already telling you it's not right, that what you're doing isn't good for your soul. In fact, the preacher doesn't have to come up here and stand up here and tell you that. The lover of your soul, he's already been speaking so much of this already to you and to your soul. But in this moment, in this holy moment, let's call on the Lord. He's here already, but call on him in openness, in a reception where we receive his spirit, receive his instruction, that we say, God, help me. Help me to live this Christian life. Help me to become more like Jesus every day. Help me, lead me, correct me, discipline me, guide me into the abundant life that you want me to live. So would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord Jesus, this is a holy moment before you. For so many of us, Lord, you are speaking right now. Your love, your grace, your mercy. But we want to respond to you today, Lord. We have one life to live. We will never get today back. And so many of us are in patterns that are destructive, that are painful, that are hurtful, that lead to sickness, and that lead to death. And Lord, we don't wanna live like that anymore. We wanna live for you. We wanna choose life. We wanna choose things that build up instead of tear down. We wanna spend our time on things that are eternal instead of things that will fade away. Lord, we want to enter a room and have a confidence that Christ in me, the hope of glory, will leave the room better than I found it. Lord, we want to be a people that encourage, that build up, that lift up, that our words would even bring healing. Our words would bring restoration. Our words would bring forgiveness and health. That God, by your spirit, we would be so open to you and your work in our lives and your chiseling in our lives that we would become healthy, joy-filled, powerful people of God. Men and women that have the full armor of God placed down upon us, Lord. That we would go boldly into this world as people full of your spirit and full of your life. As we continue to pray, I, just, I just say for some of you, you I, I just feel like in the spiritual sense right now, there's, there is a wall that you have built up or that is built up maybe from hurts or past experiences or disappointments, but there is a wall there. But that wall has no power over you. You're letting it have power over you but it does not need to have any power over you. That right now you can open up yourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit and that wall will come crumbling down. And as that wall is removed, a flooding of God's Spirit, a flooding of abundant life will begin to invade your soul, your heart, and your mind. And many of you just need to speak those things to the Lord in your heart right now. That there are walls that have been built up, either by yourself or by others. But those walls have no power. Even now, just no power. Just just speak that over those areas in your life. That the power of Christ is stronger than the power of that wall. The power of Christ is stronger than that wall. The power of Christ is stronger than that wall. And Lord, that you would just begin to move in us, even now. Just move. Just move. Move by your spirit. Break down those walls. Move into those areas. Move into those areas of darkness. Move into those areas of death. Moving into those areas of destruction. moving into those areas of guilt and shame and condemnation. moving into those areas that we, we, we know that we're not supposed to do it, but we do it again and again and again, and it's making us sick. Moving to those areas of sickness where we have made ourselves sick with sin, that we have a sickness of sin. Move into those areas even now, Lord, and let the washing just be, just wash it out, Lord. There would be a, just a cleanness, a righteousness that would invade those areas of our lives, even now, God. And just Even now, just Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me the hope of glory is more powerful than that sin. Christ in me the hope of glory is more powerful than an action. Christ in me the hope of glory is more powerful than that addiction. Christ in me, the hope of glory is breaking down every wall. Be my everything, Lord. Be my everything, Jesus. Be my everything, Christ. Christ in me. Christ in me. Christ in me. Christ in me. We want to be addicted to you, Jesus. We want to be crazy for you, Jesus. Christ in me, we would be holy as you are holy. We would be holy as you are holy. Church, as, we, as we, we close, I just, all eyes bowed, if you would, for, 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 for the sake of everyone here. I want to sing a song, and the song is all about Christ in us, the hope of glory being our everything. And as I sing this song, church, I, would just, I would just pray that we create an environment where, for those that need to, we just be able to get real with God. Uh, If you need to come front and come forward and kneel before the altar, do that. Or if you need to kneel at your seat, do that. Or if you need to stand, do that. But just as we sing this, or as I sing this song, I want to sing it over you. That we would give the Lord room this morning. Give him allowance and permission to be our everything this morning. Thank you, Lord.